So, Rachel. Yeah. The USS Enterprise arrives to investigate reports of an unknown monster deep in the mining tunnels of Janus 6. Ooh, a monster! Mm. Mm, I see polystyrene tunnels Mm -hmm. with motion-activated light. I see a lumbering monster who poses no real threat and is easily cook food into submission. <laughs> the idea of being stuck down a mine with a monster is bone chilling. Oh, really? But I suspect Star Trek will keep it pretty non-threatening. Mm. How are they going to get the monster or its spawn on board this time? Mm. Who will the random female be? And will we like her outfit? <laughs> What fun will Uhura be left out of? Aww. Will McCoy be back to bullying Spock? Stay tuned. Mm. Rachel watches Star Trek. Captain's log, star date 3196.1. A distress call from the Progeum production station on Janus 6 has brought the Enterprise to that long-established colony. Mr. Spock, Dr. McCoy, and I have beamed down to meet with Chief Engineer Vanderberg, Administrative Head of Janus 6. You're tuning into Tuning in. So antiquated. Mm-hmm. Nobody tunes into anything anymore. Oh. You just type in a URL. Ah, oh, why don't but- they add a little tuning in button onto the phones? <laughs> that would be nice. You are listening to Rachel Watches Star Trek. I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And this week we've watched The Devil in the Dark. I know you said this was one of your favourites growing up. Is it still? I liked it a lot, but it was much slower than I remembered it being. Mm. But let's talk about that more at the end. Okay. The teaser at the start of this episode has these miners wearing tight orange jumpsuits. Yeah. They are the miners of Janus 4. They are sticking one miner on guard duty, and he is not into this idea because he is flipping scared out of his mind. But Chief Vanderberg convinces him that the phaser will protect him. And if he yells, they'll be there in three minutes tops. By which time he'll be dead. (laughs) Three minutes? Yeah. (laughs) It's a long time. The acting and direction are unusually bad in this intro. Yeah. It's hard to take it seriously. Yeah. Hmm. It's like some weird community theater thing. Hmm. Well, don't diss community theater, man. Some great quality stuff out there. That's true. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, community theater is much better than this. Uh, I don't know how. It just seemed really... First time screen actors... Yeah. Oh, a bad director. I don't know. I don't know. It seemed Odd. really weird, like amusingly so. Mm, no, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> Why do they need to have a guard there? Why does he have to be on his own? I didn't even notice he had a phaser, did he? They gave him a little phaser. Oh, okay. It's one of those tiny little, it's a phaser type one, which is mm. the one where it's just like a little remote control with a button on top of it. You squeeze. A little phaser- pocket rocket. Exactly. <laughs> and the phaser type two is the one with the handle. So it looks more like a gun. It's more powerful. They leave and not 10 seconds after they're gone, the guy gets attacked by an unseen creature and screams. When they come back, they find only a pile of ash. Two days later, the Enterprise is there to help. We find that for the past three months, a creature has been killing people in the caves and sabotaging machinery in the deeper levels. They mine mostly pergeum. Production has slowed down, so the Federation is stepping in to make sure that they get their needed pergeum. Mm, what is it? It is a pretend mineral used for <laughs> nuclear power. Which fuels the ships or something? Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does definitely power life support you know i'm not sure exactly what per uh, is used. it's it's used for power power yeah 
Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beam down and talk to Vandenberg about the situation. The only guy to have seen it was this guy, Ed, who shot it with a phaser, and it seemed to have absolutely no effect on the thing. Oh, I don't know about Ed. <laughs> He's wearing a bright pink version of the overalls everyone else is wearing mm. and has really 60s kind of long hair. <laughs> I decided he was up to no good. And it was going to be a Scooby-Doo situation with him in a costume as the creature or controlling it somehow. McCoy, after looking at the remains, says it wasn't burned, but it was melted like an extremely corrosive acid. I was less confident of the Scooby-Doo theory already. (laughs) (laughs) On Vandenberg's desk, there is this silicone sphere that Spock can't get enough of. He just loves looking at it and touching it and kind of weighing it in his hands. <laughs> an alarm goes off and they find that the main reactor has been sabotaged and an integral part of the reactor is missing. In a matter of hours, the whole thing will go critical. What will happen? Have they created a fake atmosphere on the planet and they'll lose that? Well, they're underground, mm. so there's probably no air underground mm. in the caves. So they need air and if the main reactor goes offline, then they'll suffocate. So Kirk calls up to Scotty. The zoom-in camera shot, previously used as the creature POV as it attacks people, Uh is then used on Scotty just as he's talking to Kirk, which I thought was a bit odd. (laughs) It was weird. (laughs) It almost felt like the creature was on the bridge attacking Scotty, but no, it's not. It was just a weird camera decision. Yeah. Scott says that the system is too old and they can't fix it, but... Since he's awesome, he can jury-rig something up that will temporarily fix the cooling system, giving them maybe 48 hours if they're lucky. Kirk hopes that they can find the missing part in time. Spock, still into the sphere, thinks that this thing might be a silicon-based life form. Whoa, do you know anything about this non-carbon-based life? Well, uh, we need carbon, us, for our lipids, our proteins, our carbohydrates, and our nucleic acids. Carbon works very well for uh, biochemical reactions because it bonds so easily with other atoms. A carbon atom has four joining points, so Mm. it can connect to four and make very complicated uh, things like hydrocarbons, which are a big part of cells. Hmm. So they're great for forming and breaking bonds with oxygen, which is respiration, and uh, releasing energy for food. Hmm. So very important. Now, silicone is just below carbon on the periodic table, and it also forms a bond with four atoms at a time. And it can make long chains, and we call those polymers. Mm. Plus, it can bind to oxygen. There is a huge amount of silicon on Earth, and it is the second most prevalent element on Earth's crust. Its similarity to carbon is what's gotten sci-fi writers all jazzed up about silicon-based life forms. But there are problems with this idea, like respiration, for example, would create solid silica instead of carbon dioxide. Ooh, no, that doesn't sound good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've read a few articles on this and I will put links to them in the show notes if you're curious about this idea of a silicon-based life form. Mm. It's mostly in the realm of science fiction. Yeah, yeah. none of the creatures on Earth have evolved along those lines. No. As far as we know. As far as we know. So if this creature is silicon-based, it wouldn't show up on any of the sensors and it wouldn't be hurt by a phaser. Why not? Are the phasers designed to do something at an atomic level, maybe? Presumably silicon can be damaged by fire and bullets. Mm, yes, I would say so. I'm not exactly sure what a phaser is supposed to be doing. If it's a laser of some kind, mm. uh, which I don't think it is, because laser would be instantaneous, would just be a flash. It wouldn't like come out like a slow kind of beam that a phaser shoots out as. I have to do a little research on what a phaser is exactly, but it does generate heat, and I guess heat would affect anything, but maybe this silicone-based life form is very heat-resistant. Mm. Mm, a heat thing, huh? Could be. 
Kirk calls down some security guards and Spock adjusts their phasers to hurt silicon-based creatures. Oh, they can do that? Evidently. Apparently. <laughs> Spock is doing some kick-ass deducting in this episode. Yeah. Shame it's dragging a bit. It is dragging a bit. Uh, Kirk sends the security down to level 23, which is the level that was just open before the attack started. Kirk says to attack on sight. Ooh. Now, of course, a security officer is killed and Kirk and Spock run to the scene. The thing does not get around mm -hmm. this creature. They see it, this thing, which looks like a cross between a pile of rocks with orange veins <laughs> and a pile of hamburger cheese melt. <laughs> yeah, it does. And it moves towards them and Kirk and Spock, they fire on it, driving the creature away. Janos Prohaska was the creator of the Horda costume, uh, wore the costume into the producer's uh, Gene Kuhn's office. <laughs> As to say, hey, look what I designed. And Kuhn said, hey, that looks great. What is it? And he goes, I don't know. It could be whatever you want it to be. So Kuhn said, I'll write a script around it. Uh -huh. And he wrote this episode for the, for the particular costume because he thought it was so interesting. Let's do that again in a sexy way. <laughs> hey, look what I designed. <laughs> That's great. What is it? I don't know. It can be whatever you want. <laughs> I'll write a Sexy script around ah, you see, it. Out of the word sexy. <laughs> you had to. Come on. Writing a script is not sexy. Yeah. Oh. Is it? Is it? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's script fetishes out there. That would be script fetishes. <laughs> Please drop us a line. Um, <laughs> tune in. So Gene L. Coon sounds like a great collaborator. Yeah. I like that. The costume department's throwing stuff at him. He's loving yeah. it. And then they're like, okay, let's write a script around it. I don't know how the costume guy had the time to just make something that wasn't even needed for an episode. Well, some people love costuming and that's their passion. So hmm. even when he's not working at night, he's coming up with new costume ideas. Yeah, but when does a costumer not work? It's 24-7. <laughs> the scars run deep. Oh my gosh. There is a piece of this creature uh, still throbbing on the ground. So they blasted a hunk of it off. Spock just picks it up. It can corrode through rock. Don't hold a piece of it. <laughs> it's so strange. Spock says, yep, it's silicon-based life. Spock also deduces that there is only one of these creatures and that it might be the last of its kind. And he says killing it would be a crime against science. Hmm. I thought, science? Huh. That's odd phrasing. I would feel like maybe that's a crime against morality or yeah. uh, a crime against a balanced ecosystem. Science is a method of processing information. I don't know how killing that creature would be against a method of processing information. Mm, I suppose because it's the only silicon-based one they've come across, so it's a scientific discovery in the making. Mm. They had to have Spock come up with it as a logical scientific reason if mm -hmm. they were going to have Kirk be the one who was determined to kill it on site, I guess, where mm -hmm. normally Kirk would be the one who had the compassion. Maybe? Right. Maybe. Yeah, I, yeah. I could see that. They're trying yeah. to make it go, oh, look how sciencey Spock's being. It's logical that he yeah. wants to save this creature mm -hmm. instead of it being compassionate, which I think it is still compassionate. And mm -hmm. Spock is just kind of wrapping it up in his... In a science wrapper. Yeah. <laughs> Was the salt vampire the last of its kind too? It was. However, at the time it was killing Kirk when when McCoy shot it, if so you recall. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean. So fair enough. So, Kirk decides to focus the search around the area where they just last saw it. In this episode, Kirk's doing a lot of pacing up and down lines of red shirts, giving out orders. Maybe trying to overcompensate after the mutiny last week. <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of this general addressing his troops trope. Yeah. Uh, while Kirk is giving orders, Spock interjects that they should try and capture it. 
And then Kirk looks at Spock and says, no, just kill it. Mm. And so after that, Kirk takes Spock aside to kind of give him a firm talking to about countering orders in front of the troops. Yeah. And tell Spock that he should go help Scotty with the reactor. Well, that was tense and awkward. Yeah, At first, was. I thought it was because Kirk didn't trust that Spock could handle doing it Kirk's way. Kirk says, I can't have me and my first officer in danger. Mm. And Spock says, well, the odds are 2,228.7 to 1 <laughs> that both of them will die. And Kirk sees Spock is super keen on this and following logic, allows him to stay. <laughs> Unfortunately, the jury rig pump fails. Kirk orders the planet evacuated, but Vandenberg and his men vow to fight the creature even if they have to use clubs, hmm. which I thought he meant metaphorically. Hmm. Real clubs. A creature that reduces people to ashes? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> so Kirk decides to allow them to stay. Kirk and Spock find a chamber with a lot of these silicone spheres in them. I said, they're eggs. And I quietly just did not react to what <laughs> yeah. you're saying because I knew that they were eggs. <laughs> Spock warns Kirk not to break them, but still isn't sure about his theory. I don't know why he wouldn't just share that. Mm, yeah. You know, but anyway, I guess it's, they were trying to stretch out the mystery of it, yeah. which they didn't really need to do. Uh, Kirk and Spock split up to find the creature. Kirk's cave is caved in by the creature, though he doesn't see it push down the support beam. Kirk is able to get out of there because he's awesome. Mm. But Spock freaks out a bit when he hears the crashing. He's worried about Kirk and shouts, Jim, Jim, which he hasn't done since he was all kicked up on I, whatever it was last episode. I know. So there's kind of a, it seems like the relationship is becoming a little bit more personal and mm. less uh, professional. Oh, when he's scared for his life, he goes all Jim on him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Kirk tells Spock to meet him on the other end because the tunnels go around. So Spock has got to go around the long way. And then Kirk runs into the creature. Spock has now changed his tune. His BFF is in danger and he wants Kirk to kill the creature immediately. <laughs> he does. He kill it, Jim, kill it. <laughs> like, whoa. But Kirk's like, you know, uh, this thing's not attacking me right away. And mm -hmm. he senses some kind of intelligence within that. Mm -hmm. So he lowers his phaser. The creature shows that it has a wound on it. Which is all white and puffy? Yeah, it looks like white plastic bags, which is <laughs> odd against the earth tones. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was kind of like pus-filled. It was kind of what mm. it looked like to me. It was really gross, I thought. It looked a bit like a primate bum. <laughs> it did. Yeah, yeah, it was puffy. <laughs> now, uh, Kirk doesn't want to kill it. And when Spock arrives, he suggests that Spock should try a psychic contact with it. Whoa, this is a surprising turn of events. I didn't know he could do that. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> Spock starts to cry out in pain. Unfortunately, it's not Nimoy's specialist area to be dramatic, so I found it a bit awkward. Yeah, it's a little much. Mm. And it kind of goes to 11 right away. There's, yeah. no, there's no arching it up. Well, Spock learns that the creature is, in fact, sentient. It is in a lot of pain and that it calls itself a horta. That's mm. its species. The creature then burns into the rock no kill I. Ah, oh, we're back to the Star Trek punk band. Yeah. Bunk, bunk on the head, guys, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, Kirk calls McCoy down to see what he can do. Spock is like, it's silicone based. McCoy can't do anything with that. And Kirk says, he's a healer. He can heal it. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't take no for an answer. McCoy scans it and quickly decides, yes, he can do sod all for it, being a doctor for carbon based creatures. Yeah, he says, I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. <laughs> Which is a common McCoy thing. He says that's that, at oh, least the second time we've had it. Uh, Kirk just tells him to heal it. <laughs> McCoy asks for something to be beamed down. 
I think it's cool that he's got so much faith in his crew that mm. he's like, oh, yeah, you can do this. Just do it. Yeah. Just do Just it. Just find a way. And he does, which is crazy. Yeah, he's right. So Spock now touches the thing uh, to get a better connection with it. Uh, some broad Nimoy pain acting here. Mm. The Horda has given up, it says. Its race is going to die out. It tells Kirk the pump is in the chamber of the ages. So Kirk tells Spock to tell it they're going to try and help it. Kirk goes into the room, finds thousands of these spheres broken mm. and the missing pump as well. The pump they need for the life support system. Yeah. So uh, Kirk comes back. So Spock says all of these orbs are in fact eggs. It's the reveal, the big reveal mm. that we've known for a <laughs> long time. Uh, and they're ready to hatch. Kirk orders the miners to stay back, but they are surly and they freaking beat up the security team. Yeah, the Enterprise team. Yeek. And then they go on a murder mob jaunt. One has an actual club. Yes. <laughs> when they show up, Kirk says uh, that he will kill the first man to make a move on the thing. Oh, yikes. He's changed his tune too. Yeah. Empathy for the Horta via Spock channeling its feelings. Yeah. Mm. Or just understanding that it is, you know, sentient and that it, it's defending its young, mm -hmm. you know, which is understandable and completely reasonable. Yeah, I'd call that empathy. Vandenberg is like, it's killed 30 men. And then Kirk says, you've killed thousands of its children. And then that shuts up Vandenberg real fast. Mm. Uh, Spock says that the Horda understands the confusion and bears no ill will. So then now it's time for Kirk to get a little schemey here. Mm. And he goes, I got an idea. You, Vandenberg, and the Horda should collaborate. They'll dig for you and get to minerals that you need. And then you guys just let them, you know, do whatever their Horda business is that they normally do. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I like that. So now the question is, will the Horda live? Because it's been injured and McCoy's trying to fix it. Mm. Well, if they don't mind a bit of incest, there are loads of eggs to develop into a new race. <laughs> <laughs> well maybe they need the mother to help them develop or survive or maybe mm, somehow yes, that's the, definitely established so maybe the the mother horda that's still around actually yeah. has like a ancestral memory mm. in it that somehow communicates it to the young so that they know of their past and their history and their culture if mm. such a thing exists but the horta does say that they're going to die and therefore their children will die and their whole species will die, I think. Oh, right. Yeah, it does say that, yeah. Spock, yeah. But I didn't believe for a second that the Horta was going to die. No. 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 It wasn't being set up like that, was it? No, it wasn't. So now McCoy's got his hands covered in grey stuff and looks very pleased with himself. <laughs> he reckons he could now cure a rainy day. <laughs> <laughs> he trowelled silicone-based thermal concrete, which they use for building emergency shelters, into the wound and that acts like a bandage. Oh, McCoy is likable. It's happening. <laughs> the gang is back on the bridge, ready to leave, and Vanderberg gets on the horn and says the babies have hatched and they're digging holes all over the place, finding these awesome mineral deposits. Using newborns to mine? That's terrible. <laughs> when you put it that way. Yeah, sure. Mm. I like to think that they're just doing their own thing and mm. then they're following after them to see huh. where they've gone. Oh, they're not sure, yeah. <laughs> just strap a bit of dynamite to this baby. Oh. It's just like making its own way into the mine. Oh. So Vandenberg says, once you get used to their appearance, they're kind of fun to have around. <laughs> Curious. What Sheep Vandenberg said about the Horta is exactly what the mother Horta said to me. She found humanoid appearance revolting, but she thought she could get used to it. Oh, she did, did she? Now tell me, did she happen to make any comment about those ears? Not specifically. But I did get the distinct impression she found them the most attractive human characteristic of all. I didn't have the heart to tell her that only I have... She really liked those ears? Captain, 
The Horta is a remarkably intelligent and sensitive creature with impeccable taste. Because she approved of you? Really, Captain, my modesty. Does not bear close examination, Mr. Spark. I suspect you're becoming more and more human all the time. Captain, I see no reason to stand here and be insulted. <laughs> As if the Horta said she liked his ears. <laughs> of a chat did they have that it progressed from I am in excruciating pain and all my children are going to die through striking a deal for their future to assessing humans' appearance? Uh, well, okay. I suppose giving compliments is part of making a business deal. Mm-hmm. Is it? Sure, sure, yeah. But the thing with the Vulcan mind meld mm-hmm. is which is what Spock is doing here, yeah. is that you're actually melding minds together. Oh. So you know a lot about them. You know about their past Ooh. and you know about, and it's shared. It goes back between the two so you have a connection once you meld with somebody you have like a lifelong connection with that person because you have memories of theirs in your brain and they have memories of yours in their brain so connection but maybe not positive if you didn't like what you found i'm sure but maybe maybe she did like his ears (laughs) and he's remembering that yeah however this whole interaction is kind of strange because i i really get the impression that spock is messing with kirk yeah one up for spock i love that like he's pretending he's being all logical and stuff, but it really feels like he's digging on Kirk yeah. and humans in general. Pretending to be offended that Kirk said he's becoming more human. Yeah. Like, I think pre- pretending. I think so. Yeah. I mean, maybe he is being just straight and this mm. is actually what Spock believes, but uh, mm. no, I feel like it's he's got a sense of humor with this whole thing. So let's get into the concepts of this episode. So do you think the clubs were to make them seem like a mob? Yeah, The people who had lived there. Yeah. Did it feel consistent to you that Kirk would be determined to kill the creature rather than investigate first? Now that you pointed out, I guess it's not very consistent with this Mm. character that we've already seen here. But, I mean, it did kill 30 guys. Yeah, but not anyone that he knows personally, which I could imagine sparking him to a less logical way of approaching it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe if he said something like, have you tried to communicate with it? You know, if he brought those things up beforehand. Yeah. But he doesn't even touch on that. He's just mm. like, we got to get this mineral going here, whatever it takes. So that was, yeah. it seemed a little inconsistent of character. You're right. I suppose it had cut off their way of surviving there by then, hadn't it? It wasn't just that it would kill someone if they were on their own. It had taken their pump by then. Mm-hmm. But he could have just got them all out of there and then tried to investigate yeah. it, I guess. You're right. It does seem a little out of character and that they were kind of having him be the swayed individual. Yeah. Instead of him doing the swaying, which he usually does. Mm, I like that. They developed compassion for it and wanted to save it. Do you think that would have been the case if it didn't have language? Mm. What is sentient and can Spock communicate with creatures who don't have language through emotion? Those are very good questions. I don't know. Because creatures without language presumably would have memories. They would be pictures sensation memories but not words well i think spock could communicate with that yeah Yeah, i think so from what i know of the vulcan mind meld it's a sharing of minds my beef with it is that can you mind meld with a silicone based life form because its brain or whatever nervous system it has would work on a totally different system i would think yeah if this is electrical impulses going between neurons between brains Mm -hmm. you'd think they would both need to be Carbon, but then the whole thing's so wackadoodle that sure, yeah. <laughs> we're probably splitting hairs <laughs> over it unnecessarily. With Kirk, was it a respect for the Horta's intelligence rather than compassion for its plight that caused them to protect it? I think initially it was 
a respect for his, in- his intelligence because mm-hmm. you know how it didn't attack him right away and he saw that when he raised his phaser it backed away when yeah he, when he put it down it came a little bit closer but it wasn't attacking him because it was it was kind of cute too. it was kind of <laughs> cute yeah he was seeing that it wasn't just this beast that was mm. killing people on sight that there was some kind of process going on and then i think he got motivated to really help it like threaten to kill those guys because he did empathize with it after that yeah so it developed into that i think so yeah yeah but if it didn't have language i suppose they couldn't have come up with a deal for yeah. the future unless can you teach a dog the deal that you're gonna make with it <laughs> well, if you kind of do like, this out yeah, yeah i suppose yeah. you teach them through doing a trick conditioning like if, yeah yeah i wonder mm. how the horda communicates with them after well it could write yeah it wrote no kill i well yeah so they're obviously once it melded with spock it was able to understand written english so oh goodness <laughs> instead of just having to constantly graffiti all over the place and burning <laughs> corrosive acid into it to communicate things uh, what i really dug about this episode is that life in this one is totally different than ours mm. it's silicon based it's non-humanoid and i've got so many questions about these aliens like how their society works mm. it was just cool to have that in the show yeah i I really dug that and it doesn't come up as much as i think it should having Mm. really different life forms. i mean they do occasionally especially especially in next generation yeah they have some crazy life forms that are totally like energy-based life forms and other things like that Mm. there's also a bunch of dudes with bumpy foreheads as well yeah yeah but this was the first time i felt in star trek like wow this is a really different Mm. creature and it was exciting and i remember in science class when i was a teenager i tried to do a report on on a silicone-based life form and like oh, how that gosh. would work and do all that stuff because of this episode because ah. it inspired me. Wow, God, it never, never, ever come into my world, the thought of a silicone-based <laughs> life form. This is the first time I've ever <laughs> thought about it. Uh, that does not surprise me. <laughs> yeah. You know, the Horda actually in the books and comics and, and novels and things show up later. Mm. And there is, believe it or not, a Horda actually becomes a crew member of the Enterprise. <laughs> one of what? the children, yes, one of the children of the of the Horda from this episode becomes a crew member, and I think it's like in two books. It's wow. it's got a name too, which I don't remember. It's like Ensign Nugarak Rock or something. Ensign, how do they get the uniform on it? <laughs> I don't know. A little wrap over top would work better than the one over the head, I bet. Well, they do say that they have to spray it with like a Teflon coating because the oxygen atmosphere is is caustic to its silicone-based life. Non-stick then. (laughs) So there's a lot of Horda. I mean, I guess in the extended Star Trek universe, Hordas are quite popular. Well, you got to get those children out working. (laughs) (laughs) They can't have them all slobbing around the house. (laughs) (laughs) They worked around the budget well, didn't they? Having it be the last of its kind. So they only had to make one. Oh, yeah. And the rest were eggs. The eggs probably cost yeah. a bit. Sure. So is this the first mother we've seen on the show so far? Hmm. We've had several children, but I don't think we've had any mums. Oh, right. We've had fathers. That's true. Yeah. 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 I wonder what that's about. Mother of thousands. Single mother. <laughs> no <of> grandparents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no grandparents. No aunties. <laughs> no childminders. Oh, boy. Uh, well, that's <laughs> entertainment. 
I had a strange feeling of admiring them all for the effort with the sets and the unfolding storyline and the look of the creature and the eventual empathy that was generated towards it. But I also felt removed from the story as if I was watching it from a distance and I was checking the time quite a lot. That was a weird blend for me. Mm -hmm. I had the sense of it not being one of the classics, but the director really wanted it to be. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I can I can see that. Yeah, there was a production level to. I, again, I feel like this suffers from it needed to fill a time slot, and it should mm. have been about ten minutes shorter than it was. Yeah, because I, I think there's super cool stuff in this episode, and the whole idea of the Horda being what it was, and them interacting with it, and then not being able to communicate, and that lack of communication causing all these problems. Yeah. That, that's huge. And that's something that they kind of hand wave a lot on Star Trek because they've got the universal translator. So usually people understand each other, but there's so much in history mm. of our, of Earth's history that people have had problems because they couldn't talk to each other. Yeah. And if they could talk to each other, that, that would have solved a lot of issues. This is kind of one of the few times that, that that's brought up on Star Trek. There's a few other ones that, that they do, especially later in Next Gen. But it was really cool conceptually But the entertainment of it, it just seemed like it wasn't quite there. Mm, Yeah, it was definitely interesting on the concept side. The humans didn't know they were the original aggressors. Yeah. They thought they were just under attack from a vicious creature. Right. But it was another case, perhaps, of humans taking too much. It was Mm. tolerated and it worked while they were up a certain number of levels in the mine. But then they just had to keep getting more out Mm. of the place and that's when it all went tits up so (laughs) so the entertainment value that i i give it for concepts i would say that this is uh an eight for me yeah there's a lot of cool concepts yeah and i the entertainment i give it a a six yeah i have to go five i think because there was loads i liked about it but i I just wasn't consistently entertained exactly i did like the design and the movement of the creature yeah that's the hard thing to pull off and they did it in a different way yeah and i appreciated the technique of having the camera zoom in on a scared face and then a bit of the creature's head pops into the frame at the last minute yeah. it wasn't scary for me but no. hopefully it seemed less hokey at the yeah. time maybe yeah, no, i thought it was cool i mean as is, is, is cool as it can be with that type of thing i didn't feel any suspense but i was interested to yes, know what was, was going on very interested sexiness yeah total sausage factory there wasn't a woman in the whole <laughs> just episode. the hotter <laughs> <laughs> No Vaseline lens for her. Oh, <laughs> why did she get a Vaseline lens? Yeah. That wasn't fair. Kirk was pretty sexy in this. That's How about so? it. <laughs> just Kirk being Kirk. I don't know. <laughs> I just, didn't know if he was particularly yeah, sexy just, or just in general. No, sexy. less than normal, but still. Okay. I like him. Shatner's father actually died during the production of this episode. Oh, gosh. And uh, one of the stunt guys said that he didn't even know that his father died, uh. but they were going to work around some shooting stuff to, for him to go back for the funeral. He didn't cop out, man. He was freaking held in tight and did the episode and made sure everything was on schedule before yeah. he went to his dad's funeral. So mm, I wonder if they were close. I bet he had an interesting childhood, Shatner. I'm sure he did. <laughs> on sexiness. Sexiness, mm, three. Wow, a three. Yeah, what, you think that's too high? Well, I, I, zero. There's <laughs> right, absolutely yeah. no sexiness yeah. going on here. Yeah, that's true, really. For, for me, I mean, you you found Shatner attractive, so that gives it some sexy points. For yeah. me, zero sexy points. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing hugely turn-offish about it, I suppose, except no. for the kind of Horta's white, puffy <laughs> bum wound. <laughs> So next week we are doing an episode. This is the first episode with Klingons, I believe. Oh. So get ready for some Klingon well, action. I don't think I'm going to like that. It's called Errand of Mercy. Oh, gosh. Rachel? Yes. 
Thanks for watching Star Trek with me. <laughs> Notice you didn't say you were you enjoyed watching Star Trek with me this week. <laughs> I it was okay. It was okay. Yeah. But thank you for doing it with me. Thank you. And thanks for doing the show. And thank you, patrons, for making it happen. And thank you everybody who's listening there who makes it worthwhile. And with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to Rachel Watches Star Trek. <laughs> Star Trek!